Okay, everyone. Thank you for joining. Welcome to a, uh, I think, I hope, Shem should help, a fascinating journey into the mystical realm. Sometimes we have a little spiritual mystical playground. Swings, sliding, sliding ponds, seesaws, merry-go-rounds. That's uh, my little Disneyland. <laughs> so in any case, tonight is one of those classes. Why? Pashas Mishpatim. Pashmashpatim is where Torah gets very technical and very, very, very legal. And um, for spiritual people like uh, the more spiritualists, it's a little harder to adapt to all the nitty gritty laws. So the real cool thing is to be able to find the really cool Kabbalah in the nitty gritty, what seems to be dry, uh, very legal and uh, just logical side of Torah to see the infinite godliness, you know, right in the beginning of the parsha, it says, Excuse me, so are the, and these are the laws that you should put before them. So Rashi says that the word starts with a vav, which says, and these are the laws. And why does it say, and these are the laws? And it implies that just like we're just coming off the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments was the most, the most godliest experience ever, face-to-face -face with God, and obviously means that we were, we were, we were engaging the super-rational, the super, what's beyond all grasp and all understanding. So obviously we, we came across, we experienced it as, you know, infinitely mystical and, and beyond, even though the actual commandments were pretty simple, but still they had, we can sense the, the, the endless depth of the divine in it. And, but right after that, it's like amazing. We just like immediately right after that, like end up in discussion of pure law, governing legalities of, of monetary law and civil law and things like this, which, which one can argue is just plain simple logic. So Rashi wants to give us the sense of transcendence. The Torah wants to give us a sense to recognize that what seems to us as logical law is really also transcendental godliness. It's just that God with his infinite wisdom was able to package it and able to contract it and bring it down in a way that we don't even notice its mysticism. We don't even notice its mystical element, its abstraction, its godliness. What we are gonna do today is we're gonna tear open a little bit and find uh, a, uh, a, a, a whole canyon of immense, mystical ideas in what seems to be the most down-to-earth grounded experience in Judaism, and that is what all the Talmudists study, okay? So if you would take a Talmudist and you would present them with what I am teaching tonight, one of the two things, either they would get super excited because they'll say, ah, wow, this is crazy, or they're gonna have a heart attack, God forbid. <laughs> In other words, like we're, uh, you know, they 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 like to just see Torah as a very, you know, 
you know, practical, um, you know, down to earth discussion. And here it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The backbone of all this stuff is, is just pure divinity, pure divinity. So where am I taking this? My favorite, one of my favorite books, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father, spectacular Kabbalist, off the charts. I'll repeat that again. Off the chart Kabbalist. Genius of genius. And uh, anybody that even dabbles a tiny bit in his books realizes that this is like on a whole different level. I mean, even people who study Kabbalah are just absolutely baffled by the, by the, by the incredible genius of, of him. And, and, and this was just a little bit of his writings when he was in the end of his life, when he was in exile. He didn't have any of his books. His wife, that we'll mention her today. No. Today is the yard site of the Rebbe's and the Rebbe's wife. This is the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe Tzimchana, but still a day when we celebrate the feminine side of the Chabad dynasty. Uh, she went and she, you know, took herbs and made ink for him. And with that little bit of ink, he was able to write on the sides of his books. On the side, he would make notes. And all we have from him today are only these writings. All his other writings that he wrote the rest of his life is somewhere, it's buried somewhere, hidden somewhere. We don't have it. Imagine what, what that contains. This stuff is enough to keep you busy for, <laughs> you know, uh, you really, really want to tackle what he, what we do have for books. It's, 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 it's incredible. Any case, so that's what we're doing tonight. And we're also going to see there's, a, there's, a, there's an incredible beauty to this. So um, what we are going to start with is a passage. Let's first talk about the structure of Jewish law. The structure of... Um, what what creates the bulk of Jewish civil law and criminal law is mostly contained in three tractates. These three tractates are really three parts. They are really three parts of one tractate, of one of one Masechda. Hi. So, I, I was I was going to wait till you came, but then we started. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, so they really they really are three divisions of, of and three parts of one tractate. And that tractate is called tractate. Initially, it's all it's it's called. Um, Mesechtes Nezikin, which means the tractate in Talmud that deals with Nezikin means harmful damage. And it's basically coming to deal with all various different types of responsibilities that we have in regarding other people and not damaging property or any other infliction to, to, to someone else or to their property and how people are held accountable for their actions. And there's different phases, as we're going to see in a moment. This tractate Nezikin, which is, today's days we don't call it tractate Nezikin because it was split in, it had initially 30 chapters, but that would be very, very big. So they divided into three sections and it became three tractates. 
and that's called Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra. That is probably the most studied Talmudic text in all yeshiva study. It's these three tractates, Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra. I mean, there's some others that are yeshiva mesechtas uh, here and there, Ivamis, Ksubis, Kedushin. There's a few more that they study in yeshivas a lot. But these three are like at the core. There's really one Masechta. And obviously, you can understand, it's very the logical elements of law. Um, those who study Talmud really well and then go to law school have an incredible advantage of able to like learn how to think and so on and so forth. Obviously, some things are different, but so much of it grows out of the Torah. Um, but that's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's the basis. It starts in the Mishnah. And then later, the Talmud, which is the exploration of the, or the expounding on the Mishnah, goes off and expounds on it. And um, so this is basically, if you would count it all together, you would have close to 500 pages of Talmudic study in these three tractates. And that's pretty, that's a lot. So it was divided into three. The three names of them is Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra. So Baba Kama really means the first section. Baba Metziah means the, set, the middle section. And Baba Basra, its Aramaic words, means the last section. So the first section, the middle section, and the last section. We'll soon see that these the word Baba, Baba also actually means, I think means a, a, an entranceway. Baba means like a doorway. So this is like the first entranceway the second and is the third. Um, but as we're going to see, it has a very, very deep mystical meaning. The name Baba, Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra. The Baba of it. Maybe we could have called the class the mystery of the Baba. Anyways, but it has a very deep mystical meaning. Um, now, these three tractates, um, let, let me first give you a brief understanding of it. Each of them have 10, 10 chapters. So there's 10 chapters in Baba Kama, 10 in the middle, and 10 in the last one. So altogether, all three of them would have had 30 chapters. And then 10 and 10 and 10. Now, the division of them into these three are not only, they're not all equal, meaning all tackling the same general subject, and then you're just dividing them because of the length of it, so it's split like that. It's also split based on content. Baba Kama is dealing with the most violent part of human nature. It's dealing with harmful, where one person harms someone else, either directly, some of it is dealing with a human being inflicting harm on someone else or on someone else's property, physically, the human himself, and the, the, the punishments and payback that needs to be on the, in those cases. Or if someone's property inflicts damage. That means if someone is not careful and makes a fire and their fire is someone else's property, the payments that have to be made. Same as also... Uh, if someone's animal goes out and damages someone else's property, or if someone leaves a dangerous um, pitfall, 
uh, in the street, in the public domain. Someone uh, puts out something and causes other people to get harmed. They're not careful. Someone dug a pit. The, the essence of it, the Torah uses the idea of a pit, but it's not only a pit. It's, you know, put something slippery on the floor and people slip and fall. And based on that, so you're liable for those damages. So that's basically the discussion of Baba Kama. It's where there is an infliction of harmony, of, of harm, real harm from one to the other, and dealing with the laws that govern uh, how you can basically sue someone and what the what the what their payments would would be on, on which level they would be responsible. Baba Metzia is already a section of the law which doesn't deal with such harm. It's still, however, it's still dealing with conflict because it's we're talking about cases where people are have monetary arguments regarding to monetary things. I worked for you, you didn't pay me. Or I worked for you and you were supposed to take care and pay me and give me lunch, but you didn't give me lunch. Is lunch included? Is it not included in my payment? So on and so forth. Or people find a lost object, two people together and they're fighting over it. I found it, you found it. So it wasn't that any one person went and inflicted someone else's damage, but there is, that's what the classical example of Baba Metziah starts with. Two people are, you know, grabbing onto a garment that they found on the street. And this one says, I found it. The other one, I said, found it. And there you go. They end up in court. It's all mine. The whole thing is mine. The whole thing is mine. How do you, how do you resolve this conflict? And it goes into the various different things. Part of the discussion in Baba Metziah in the midsection is the laws pertaining to the four guardians. Again, it's not anything vicious that someone did. It's just someone came and gave somebody to watch something for them and then it got damaged either because of negligence or because of they uh or wasn't their fault but yet this question is what the liability is so again we're not talking about in cases that are starting off with an act of violent violence theft or damage we're talking about just the common arguments that will happen constantly between people in a society and we're coming, but it involves some level of damage where, you know, uh, you might be stealing from me and so on and so forth. Then we get to Baba Basra. The last phase of Baba Raza is the most civil of all three. It's talking about how to make contracts regarding contract law when it comes to buying and selling or, or neighbors, laws governing neighbors, you know, what are you allowed to build outside of your house? What can your neighbor stop you for building? Partnerships, that's what I'm saying, basically partnerships. Or when I'm buying or selling something, what is included in the sale? If I sold you this, can you say that, oh, that I thought it comes with this, it doesn't come with that, and so on and so forth. So these are all situations where you don't have anybody stealing. It's just we want to know from the get-go what is the right way to see the one's rights in a world where you know everybody wants it to be their way, what is the objective truth, not the subjective? And we have all the subjective arguments, and yet the Torah is going to sort out what is the correct and right way, and that is Baba Basra. So these are the three sections. Now the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, in his last talk that he gave us, and I gave a class on this last year, Pashas Mishpatim. The Rebbe says an amazing thing. That the whole the power of this week's Torah portion is enormous. 
because it's a week after we got the Torah. And since we received the Torah, what is the Torah supposed to do? It's supposed to refine the world. It's supposed to fix the creation. And Torah immediately starts its job in fixing, rectifying, and moving a world that was once a jungle into a civilized place until the world becomes so right and so correct and so just that it's ready for God to move in. And that is Mashiach. So there is a process of purification that goes through the ages and rectifies and elevates humanity. So the Rebbe says, these are the three stages of Baba Bukama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra. We should see it not only as three different, three different um, sections of the Talmud, but we can see it as three, uh, we, can see it, we can see it as progressiveness. The world progressing from a world where people were really hurting each other and harming each other. After the Babakama state, let's say it took a thousand years of the application of Torah in the world where people became less harmful to each other, less, less intentionally abusive to each other on, on, the, on the whole. I'm not talking about individual criminals. We have still quite a bit going on, but I'm talking about what is officially accepted by law in people's minds or what is rejected. It used to be back then that anybody that had power over someone else took advantage and abused people. Now, in general, we're living in a world of freedom, a world of rights, and so on and so forth. Do people act in criminal with criminal behavior? Yes, that happens. But it's still not the social norm that is accepted. And that's because there is a, a purification that has happened in the world as a result of the Torah study and the Torah world and godliness that has been brought into the world, which actually refined and changed the human psyche. So we moved from Babakama. We moved into a stage where there's still a lot of disputes, but yet, which is not violent in nature, so to speak. And then finally, the world moves to a state where we just want to figure it out, how to live in peace and harmony with each other and do things right. Like the last stage, which is no more dealing with it's just like looking at partnerships and basically like in Mashiach's world where we all will be partners. So these are three stages. And that's why the Rebbe says an interesting thing. He says that's why the book is called the, the, the initial tractate. Before you get the Baba Kama, Baba, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra, which means the first, um, um, the first part, the first door, the first uh, entranceway, the second or the third when they were all one Mesechta, it's Mesechta's Nezikin. Nezikin means damages. And the Rebbe says what it really means is it's referring to the long exile, which the time of exile is a time where there's a lot of damage in the world. The cosmos are damaged. The entire cosmic order is in a state that needs rectification. As we know that since the sin of Adam and Eve, of Adam and Chava, there was a wreckage that took place. And all the mitzvot that we've been doing, all of our souls coming down over here are all part of this progression of rectification and purification and elevation in which we all do a tikkun, like the famous idea of tikkun olam. It's not always used in the, in the right way, but the concept of it is a true concept. It's a tikkun, it's a rectification of the world, a process that happens throughout the exile. And when we're done this process of fixing the world, we enter into the messianic time. So we have to complete the seder, the order of Nezikin. This is what we've discussed last year a little bit. What we are going to do today is we're going to take a deep, we're going to dive deeply, mystically into the whole inner godly realm that allows for this, these, on a very, very sublime level, 
where the root and the source of where it leaves the possibilities of all these um, ladder damages can, can occur. In other words, the reason why the world can be messed up down here below is because there are certain, it is room has been, God has, you know, uh, set up the system in the spiritual spheres above that are the source of creation with, it, with certain energies and powers that will allow in order for creation to play itself out, so will allow for these um, mishaps to happen, for this, um, um, for this, uh, you know, incohesive world, for a world that is not synchronized, for a world that's clashing with each other, for a world, for a world of war and strife and harm and danger and so on and so forth, for a world where criminality can take place. However, when we're doing the tikkun. By studying Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, Baba Basra, people have no idea that these very yeshiva boys are studying yeshiva years and years and years, and they're studying, and they're not becoming lawyers, and they're not going to practice law. And sometimes you wonder, like, why are they spending? They're such a waste of talent. They're such bright boys. They have such bright minds. Or just go off to college and become, you know, uh, and do something productive with your life. You're learning over there, just discussing the arguments of the or really doing, they're doing the most productive thing. They're fixing existence. They're, they're, they're fixing things. They're, they're tightening the, 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 the loose screws that are at the very, 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 um, they're, they're, they're tightening the nuts and the bolts of creation and of existence or fixing or, or tweaking things at the very bottom. We'll soon see how it works. And by doing it over there, it manifests a million levels lower in a new world that changes in, 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 in people's minds shifting and changing because of all these studies that have been studied for thousands of years, it is having a cosmic effect because they're tinkering. However, in the divine, they're, 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 um, um, so to speak, aligning things or, or purifying things at the very, very, very beginning of beginning and all that, um, has repercussions and ripple effects down in this world and changes reality. Okay, so where are we going to work with? We're going to work today with two things. I'm going to read to you a passage of the Zohar. And this is a passage in the Zohar. In, it's not even in this week's Parsha. Passage in the Zohar from Parsha's Bullock that's in Numbers. In, uh, so we're, it's what we read generally in the summer. Um, around Tamil's time. And what, what, what the Zohar does, I'll tell you before we start, the Zohar is, is, is addressing these, this, this tractate that I've been talking about, the tractate of damages of Nazikin. And the Zohar traces the sages' creation of this tractate. The Zohar traces it to a pasuk, to a verse. So the Zohar finds where these tractates are hinted to in, in the parsha. Which parsha? Our parsha. The parsha's mishpat. Now, you, the truth is you don't have to find, you don't have to trace it and find it in a, in a, in a, in a, in, in, in a kind of in a hinted way, in a, in a, in a way of um, where it is kind of embedded and hinted. This week's parsha, openly discusses all these laws. 
the laws of damages of someone's ox and so on and so forth, and someone makes a fire and all this. But I'm not talking about that. Yes, the laws are explicitly stated, but we're talking about the order of the tractate itself. The tractate, Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra, which I just gave you the descriptions of what they speak about. The Zohar is going to find it in one verse this week, which this is the source, not only of these three tractates, but also in the order of the three tractates. And the Zohar is explaining why they set it up in that order based on a verse in this week's parsha. So before we learn the Zohar, let me read to you the verse in this week's parsha, the Pasuk. And then we're going to see what the Zohar said. And then we're going to take a plunge into some really cool mystical ideas. And suddenly it's going to be wild. Okay, so let's go. This is, again, in the Chumash this week. Um, it's talking um, about a Shomer. Actually talking about a Shomer Sachar. No, Shomer Chinam. Not a shame It's talking about one of the guardians. Uh, um, it's in Perek Chav Beis, chapter 22. A Pasuk uh, Ches. Pasuk Ches. Are you, uh, you read Hebrew? No, okay. Or else I would uh, share with you and read it inside. But I'll, I'll translate. It's okay, because uh, it's okay. Uh, you know, if you read Hebrew, it's a different story. It would help by looking in, but it's okay. So it says like this. I'll call the var oh, So let me first give you a little background in a second. This is talking about when a person gives someone to guard something for them. It's an unpaid. It's talking about an unpaid, an unpaid guardian. In in in, in halachic terms, that's referred to as shomer china. Twenty-two verse ches. Okay, Shmois 22, verse 8. So let me read it again. Oh, so wait. So we're talking about an unpaid guardian. The unpaid guardian, right? I have everybody attention here. Okay. The unpaid guardian, you found it. I'm not going to have peace until you find it. You have it. Good. Perfect. Now. We're talking about the unpaid guardian, okay? Someone gives something to someone else to watch, and then um, they come back and to pick it up. And the, and the guy says, I don't know, it's not him. So since he didn't pay him, the person's responsibilities are not too high because he's doing you a favor. So if we can prove um, a negligence, he might have to pay. But if he can't prove negligence, he doesn't have to pay if he got stolen. But the person has to make an oath. He has to make an oath that, that he didn't steal it. Maybe he stole it. Maybe he liked it and just hid it. He, he has it or sold it or something. So he's obligated to make it to swear in the court. Okay, that's the idea. Then later it says, if in the end we found out that he lied, he swore and he lied, he's going to have to pay double. That's the payment that you have to pay if you stole in this case, when a shomer swears about something, he pays kefal, which means paying back double. Meaning you have to pay twice the value of the object that was given to you. If the value was $100, you have to pay back $200. Okay. So the Pasuk says, the, the verse that we're going to be referring to, it says, I'll call Dvar Pesha. On every sinful word, 
which means that anything that the person lied about, anything that there was a lie, whether it was al-shar, whether it was an ox, al-chamar, whether it was a donkey, al-seh, whether it was a sheep, simply it means whatever it was that he was guarding, an animal, one of the three animals, an ox, a, a donkey, or a sheep, al-salma, or a garment. Maybe he gave him to watch gave him or her to watch a dress for them, a garment. Or on Veda, or on any lost object. And then it says, Ashayoyim HaKihuzeh, that, again, there's various different explanations over here, but the simple meaning is that witnesses come and say, this that this, this guy said it was stolen? Let, let us show you where it is. He has it hidden in his, in his, uh, you know, in his cellar. So in the end, he has to pay double. Okay, that's what it says. What we are going to stop is on this beginning of this verse, where the Zohar says, not the Zohar, the verse says, on every sinful word or anything that he, or, or any or, um, um, sinful um, devar can mean the word, or devar can mean uh, subject. Uh, on any element of, of crime over here that was sinful, pesha. Pesha means a sinful something. Whether it was an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or a garment. So first of all, let's notice. It mentions four possibilities of something. Okay? An ox, a donkey, a sheep, and a garment. But then in addition to that, it mentions al veda or any lost object. Okay? Now, I also want you to note something else. What we notice in this verse is that it starts off with general, it goes into specific, and it goes back to general. And we find that many times in the Torah. But whenever the Torah does that, that it starts with general, specific, and general, it's, it, it comes to teach us there's a lot of, a lot of law that you learn out from this system which the Torah uses. So the rabbis were able to extrapolate a lot of ideas when you find a generalization, a specification, and a generalization again. This is one of the cases where you have general, specific, and general. Why? A kod pesha means anything that he's lying about. That's anything. All. Then it says specific. On an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or a garment. Four details. Then it goes back to generalization. Or anything that got lost. Anything. So you're going back to general. Okay. I want you to notice that. Fine. The Zohar, the Zohar, which is again a book of mysticism, is going to find the entire tractate of Talmud in this verse. So let me read to you the passage of the Zohar. Repchizkiah. One of the great sages, he when he opened up his teaching. There's a verse in Isaiah in Yeshaya, chapter 56, verse number one. Koyamar Hashem, so says God. Shimru Mishpat, observe judgment. That means live, be careful, live in a just manner. Shimru, observe judgment. Or let me put it this way: observe the law, another way of saying it. Mishpat is the same like this this week's parsha. 
mishpatim. So shimru mishpat, observe the law, vasu tzedakah, and do tzedakah, do righteousness, and also tzedakah. Kikraiva yeshiwasi, because my salvation is close to coming. Vitzitkasi, and my... Um, my my kindness or my uh, tzedakah, lihigalais is soon going to be revealed. In other words, a very powerful verse if you think about it. God is saying, you're, you know, you're living in a world of madness. You're living in a world of corruption. You're living in a world where all kinds of things around you is going to suggest to you otherwise. Because it's very easy to say everybody's corrupt, everything, everybody cheats, everybody's dishonest, everybody's doing whatever they want. So what difference does it make what my private behavior is? So God says like this, Shimnu Mishpat, watch, obey the law, the divine law. But not only about, obey the law, also do tzedakah, be kind and do extra righteousness. And don't think you are alone in this. Don't think you're going you're gonna to despair on the world. You're going to say, to what benefit is my goodness and my kindness when everything around me is so so dark? God is saying, by you doing the law and by you doing tzedakah and keeping the law, it is very close. Yeshua seen my salvation to be love to come. Vitzitkasi and my tzedakah, is to be revealed. So God is saying, I match you. The more law you obey. And the more, basically, the more you live your life, your life disciplined according to the Torah, and the more goodness and kindness you do, the faster you will bring about, I will match your work. And then my justice, now my salvation and my righteousness or my tzedakah is going to be revealed. And when once I reveal my goodness and my salvation, it's going to be a really good work. And it's all going to be to your credit. Because when you did it, you caused me to do it. That's the idea. God says, I am, I am, I am, you're, you are triggering these two things. Now, you see clearly from here that we do two things. We keep the law, mishpat and tzedakah. We're learning about this in the, um, just now in the Thursday night class. We were learning mishpat u tzedakah Yaakov. We were learning mishpat and tzedakah. Just, just the other day. So now as well, two things. We do mishpat and tzedakah. And we understand, even before we get into everything, we understand that those two things are both, they represent the two energies of kindness and gevura, chesed and gevura. Because mishpat is gevura. It's discipline. It's following and obeying the law. Disciplining ourselves to, to, to be... To, 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 to follow the law, which is, again, a restriction. Tzedakah is goodness, chesed. So as a result of our constrictions, our mishpat and our tzedakah, God brings salvation and tzedakah. So what you see over here is salvation, for whatever reason, is aligned with mishpat. Mishpat and salvation and Yeshua are on the same, on the same thing. But the beauty of the teaching is that there will be a massive, um, um, a massive outgrowth, an incredible production that will come about of the little things that we do. 
So today's days, we might look at them and think, I'm not really doing much, but it is massive. It's cosmic. Because as we do them, God does them. Okay, that's the simple verse. Comes the Zohar. And the Zohar says, How precious are the Jewish people. In front of God. Even though they sin before him, even though they are guilty before him, and they, not only are they sinful, but they sin again and again. The Zohar says two times. In other words, general, first it says general, even though they sin before him. And then the Zohar says, and not only do they sin, but they sin and they sin. Okay, three times. What does God do? He loves them so much. He treats their sins as if they were um, unintentional. So even if we, God forbid, have done certain wreckage and certain sinfulness, and we do it mindfully, which is called in Hebrew, in, in, in Allahic terminology, it's called bimezid. Bimezid means with intention. God flips it over and he minimizes it as if it was all accidental or unintentional. So he, he, he Hashem minimizes it, fine. And that shows God's love. Okay. We'll soon see what is after with this verse. Suddenly, and now we continue. And so said the sage Rabbi Hamnuna. He's like the grandfather. He's called Rabbi Hamnuna Saba, the older sage Rabbi Hamnuna. Plus the Babadinat Kinurabanan, the Rabbanan instituted three Babas. We spoke earlier, three tractates of law, of judgment. Besidra Masnisa in the Mishnah, Chadakad Misa, the first one, Babakama. What does it deal with? As we said earlier, violent um, um, damage, the elements of violence in the world. Now, what I didn't tell you, is the tractate Babakama when it introduces the violent side of, of the world and what really needs to be reined in at first. It begins, the first Mishnah, Sechtas Babakama, deals with four primary categories of damage. It says, if you want to look at all damage that's possible, we divide it into four primary categories. Arba Avais Nezikin. Four primary um, 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 categories of damage, and they are hashar, an animal goring, an animal going out. Now, when you say an animal, the sages explain it's not only animal; it has a broader sense. The idea is that your property has intention to hurt somebody. An animal viciously attacking somebody, a dog uh, attacking someone. Okay with the intention of the dog is to inflict harm or the intention of the animal. That's one form, sure. Boyer, the other category. Now, again, it has offshoots. The other main category of damage is boyer. What's boyer? Boyer is, we said before, when a person creates a damage in a public space. Because they're not doing anything. They did something earlier and then their work that they did because they did not cover it or protect it, cause someone later to fall into it or to get harmed by it, slipping it and so on and so on. That's the second kind of damage. Mave is when your animals, your property, damage someone else's 
field or property, but not because it wants the damage, but because it's just it's just being an animal. It's just walking or stepping on stuff or eating other people's property. In other words, there's no intention to damage, but it's just neglect and one's damage. That's a third category. And the last category is fire. Okay, a person makes a fire and their fire goes out into someone else's damage and harms. These are the four primary gifts. It's important to know that because once we get to the mystical side of it, you'll see like, so this is what Masechtis Baba Kama deals with. Violent damages. Someone hurts someone else's property. There is a someone damaging. And there are four primary categories. That's the first one. Tinyana, the Zohar says, what's the second Baba Metziah talking about? Talis de Ishtakach. A talis that is found. Because what does Masechtis Baba Metziah start with? Two people found the talis, two people found the garment, and they're fighting. This guy says, it's mine. This guy says, it's mine. Okay, a talis that is found. That's the second. Tlusa, what's the third part of the town of the, of the thing? Schutzvin, partners. The laws when partners want to, so let me tell you the beginning of Masechtas Baba Basra. The beginning of Masechtas Baba Basra talks about two people, they share a courtyard and they decide that they want to split it into. Instead of sharing the whole court card together, you know, you're an upstairs neighbor and a downstairs neighbor. So instead of them sharing both, they want their privacy. So I want, you know, let's split it. You take half iron. So it talks about when they build the wall, how they build the wall, that both of them have to chip in on the wall. And that talks about how to do it in a way that it's the right way of them going about it. That's the first Mishnah in the last phase of Satan is okay. But then the Zohar says something strange. The laws of partners and Raza da Aveda and the secret of lost objects. What simply what is this? Simply what does the Zohar mean? Talking about when when someone loses something and someone finds it, when can you keep it? When do you have to give it back? Right? The problem with that is where all the mafarshim, everybody jumps. And says, well, that part is not in Baba Metziah. Every, I'm sorry, it's not in Baba Basra. It's not in the last section of the Talmud, of the of this tractate Nazikin. It's in the middle one. Every kid knows this. Because every kid that goes to yeshiva, before they get, a lot of kids sadly get turned off. Not turned off, they just have a hard time. But even the kids who get turned off very young, because they just don't have the minds to study and they didn't, they didn't get them. I mean, even those that are the dropouts, let's say. Everybody knows where the laws of lost objects are because that's what you learn. The first Talmud every school teaches, it's tradition by the Jewish people, is the second chapter of Masechtas Baba Metziah that deals with finding a lost object. So all kids start their Talmud study with this. So everybody knows it's a Baba Metziah. It's not in Baba Basra, which means in the last section. But the Zohar says, Klisa, the third one, Shutzvin, is, is Shutzvin, and Raza da Aveda, and the secret of an Aveda. Because of this, one of the great, greatest Jewish minds and greatest Kabbalists, the Vilna Goyen, okay, the Goyen of Vilna, makes an edit on the Zohar, and he switches it around, and he explains the Zohar over here, uh, here, the Grove. He takes the Raza da Aveda, 
and he and he moves it earlier. He moves it to the earlier part of the Zohar, where the Zohar says a talus that you found, and Aveda, and the and the whole time, because that belongs in the middle section, not after partners. Partners is already the third section. So there's a, he makes an edit. My we're gonna see you soon, but based on the Rebbe's father's way of learning this, no edit is needed at all. The Zohar doesn't have to be fixed. It's actually accurate the way it is, as we're going to see. My Tama, what is the reason? God, what he does for the Jewish people, you have these three sections, and yet, what does Hashem do? All the intentional sins all become considered unintentional. Going back to the theme of how special the Jewish people are. Which is pretty strange because who's talking now about sin? No one is talking about sin. We're talking about three, three, three different parts of the Talmud dealing with law. There's no one sinning over here. Now, obviously, we can understand that if we take these ideas and we take them out of the narrow application of an animal going wild, meaning your 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 donkey or your or your ox going out and damaging, but if we turn the ox and the donkey into the the human animal. And we're talking about the donkey, uh, the, 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 the ox uh, going out and, 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 and goring someone or a person's uh, or an animal going out and eating someone's tomatoes. If you apply that idea to your own animal soul. So obviously we're talking about sin, sinful behavior, reckless behavior, behavior that is damaging in the world that we do due to our animalistic nature or fire. What's fire? Fire is passion, lust. Person has passion and lust or anger. And that anger goes out and damages. So that so these things can all be understood on the psychological level. And then it's actually talking about sin. Yet we're saying that what? That even though these, these, these damaging forces exist in the human psyche and in the human experience, but yet God minimizes them and treats them at least for Israel and the Jewish people, as if they're unintentional. Okay, that's what the Zohar says. Now, the Enon, now we get to the last part. The Zohar now says, these three sections that deal with these th three subjects, let's take a look of where it's found in the Pasuk, the verse that I just read for you. So it says, They set it up that way. You know why they set it up that way? They're following the verse. When the sages of the Talmud made the Talmud, but the Zohar is really giving us a secret, that the sages of the Talmud were also not just great Talmudic geniuses, but they were also great mystics. And they were able to derive it from the Pasuk. And we're going to see it only makes sense if you tap into the mystical element. We'll soon see. So what does the Zohar say? Going to our verse. Al kol devar pesha, every sinful matter, every sinful matter. That's the word I was looking for before. Devar can mean word or matter. Every sinful matter. The high pesha iu delavizad. So where do we? So first of all, from this that the sages, from this that the verse chooses the word pesha for to introduce every type of damage, every type of sin. The Zohar immediately says, Pesha comes to minimize things. Why? Which is, by the way, again, something that I have to 
explain now. Usually, Pesha is a type of sin that's the worst kind of sin. Pesha means rebellion. Pesha'im is the worst kind of sin. The Zohar, however, says over here, Pesha means means a shogeg, a a um, a lesser of a sin. We'll see. Well, why does the Zohar say it based on what over here? Like over here, it says the var Pesha means like it's considered minor. Okay, but the Zohar says over here. Only over here, lav bezadon. It's not. It's not intention. In other words, what we're giving over here is a blanket exoneration for all sinful activity of all of all of Israel. The blanket exoneration is from the very get go. God treats it as unintentional. Now we'll soon see why. Even if people are sometimes doing things pretty bad with pretty intention, yet. There's a certain minimization of it, as we'll soon see. Why? I'm gonna. I can't control myself, so I'll say it. It's based on the idea that the that the that the underlying state of consciousness that we that we live in is one that is considered mindless. In other words, God has kind of darkened our senses and our 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 power of true awareness he dulled it so just like we understand that if someone has gone through uh, you know been um, injected with um, numbing numbing things and their mind is not this you can't really hold them that accountable for everything i mean obviously they shouldn't get behind the wheel of the car you could hold them responsible for that but you know, when someone's mind is 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 not with themselves completely because of a certain situation, especially if it's not their fault, it's not that they got themselves drunk, it's inherently that way. Like we always know that it is an argument to minimize a crime when someone is mentally problematic. I mean, you have to make sure that he's not a harm to other people, but it is a minimizing factor. So we are, from the very get-go, considered in a state of minimal, I'm going to we're going to get to that in the end. Minimal das. We are in a made our das is not expansive. Das means our our knowledge, our understanding, our our consciousness. It's a very distorted consciousness, and therefore, from the very get go, it's not considered intentional. It's considered mindless. That's number one. Now, what are the things? Man What are the damages? Al Shoir Al Khamoir Al Seh Ox, Donkey, Sheep, Dobabakama. That's Babakama. Okay, that's what the Zohar says. Dahaki il be in on Milan, because Babakama deals with these things. The first word of Babakama is the four types of damages are Shoir, Ox. So what does it say over here? Al Shoir on an ox. So Shoir is what Mesechus Babakama is talking about when it says Shoir. So now let's talk about these things. Al Salma. Remember, well, after the first three animals, what does it say? On a garment. So the moment you hear a garment, who's talking about garment? The Zohar says, which part of Talmud is talking about the garment? That's the second tractate in Talmud. Two people holding on to a garment. So that's Salma. That's the garment. 
That's Baba Metziah, the middle one. I'll call Aveda every lost object. This is the last one. Call Aveda. That's talking about the last part, Baba Basra. Now, first of all, you see over here, the Vilna Goyen is going to have a hard time over here. If we said that we tweak and we say that the Zohar says that Aveda, lost objects are part of Baba Metziah, the part of the middle, because like, like we find it, and not in the last part, like the like the Vilna Goyen says that you're supposed to do cut and edit, cut and put it over there, then how does the Gemara now, the Zohar say, I'll call Aveda, which Aveda means a lost object. How does the Zohar now say that that's referring to Baba Basra when Baba Basra doesn't talk about it? So the Vilna Goyen has to tweak that as well. And he does. So he does a major edit. The Vilna Goyen does a major edit. The Rebbe, in his last talk, which he gave on Pashas Mishpatim, in his footnotes, brings this Vilna Goyen. And he says, however, based on my father's teaching, brilliant teaching, that we're going to see in a few moments, the Rebbe says it's very hard to edit so much of the Zohar. Sometimes you make an edit, certain things could be written wrong. But he has to make a major surgery and change around so much, too much editing. The Rebbe doesn't agree with the Vilna Goyen on this edit, too much editing. But if you look at it the way my father says, he says, no edit is needed. It's perfectly understood. How Kol Aveda, every lost object, is actually talking about Baba Basra. Now, I'm going to present you the question. Baba Basra is not talking at all about lost objects. And as I said earlier, so how can Kol Aveda be Baba Basra? So that's a good question. It's a very good question until you realize you're learning Zohar. When you realize you're learning Zohar and you realize that it's very deep secrets, so you go to the, the light switch and you don't go to the dimmer. And when it's a little too dark and you're confused, you just push the thing up, 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 and it stops being so dim and suddenly it opens, the light opens up. And, ah. That's exactly what we're going to do right now. We're just going to go to the dial and open it up and suddenly this is going to become luminous and clear. So, ah, so the lost object, any lost object. <laughs> of course, that's exactly what it's talking about. The two partners who want to make a wall and split their chutzer. You got to know a whole bunch of Kabbalah to be able to get to that. So let's see what it is. So what do we have over here? We have the Zohar saying that in general, there's a Pasuk, observe the law, do tzedakah, God's judgment, God's kindness is going to come to the world. The day is coming when the world will be filled with kindness. And by you keeping it now, you're going to have a part in it. And then the Zohar says, the Zohar suddenly starts talking about what? First of all, what's the connection? I mean, a little connection you have because part of keeping the law, where is the law spelled out? In Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra. That's the main, main tractate governing civil law. Right? So that's the Mesef. These three parts need to be kept. By keeping that, the Zohar says, God considers our intentional sins. Like what? Like unintentional. And then the Zohar divides the three the three parts of tractates. The Zohar divides it in accordance to these what's mentioned in the Pasuk. What is mentioned in the, ver the verse? 
Shor Hamor Seh, ox, donkey, sheep, is referring to Baba Kama, the first phase. Talking about, again, more aggressive kind of damages. Salma garment is talking about Baba Metzia that deals with a garment. And Alkala Veda, every lost object, is talking about Baba Basra, which talks about partners. Doesn't talk about, yeah, that's it. But uh, that's the question we're asking. How does Baba Basra work with any lost object? Baba Basra is not talking about lost and found. That was the question we asked. But uh, let me ask you a few other questions. Masechta's Baba Kama starts with four primary damages. What did we say earlier? What are the first, what are the four primary damages? Um, 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 an ox going out intentionally damaging, uh, making a pit, or things related to making a pit. Um, uh, uh, animals going out and damaging not because they want to damage, just because they're negligent and doing animal things and the owner should have watched them. And finally, fire. Damage is coming from a person being uncareful with a fire. Okay, these are the four types of character. So if Baba Kama is talking about four damages, how come the verse only mentions three? Shor, Hamor, Seh. Only three, not four. Secondly, only one of them matches. Shor matches. But how does Hamor and Seh? Now, Seh also matches. Let's see. Shor matches. Why does Shor match? Because Shor is the first one and Baba Kama is also a Shor and Ox. The second one is a donkey. How does a donkey go equivalent to a pit? What does a pit and a donkey have to do well with each other? It seems like it's completely unrelated at all. Now, animals going out and eating? Okay. A sheep, Sam, is one of these animals that goes out and eats. You know, careful, the sheep will go off and help himself to the neighbor's uh, carrots. Growing. I don't know, sheep eat carrots or whatever they eat. So, so Sam matches. But hold it. What's with the last one? Fire. Fire isn't stated at all in the puzzle. Okay. So let's 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 un, un, unpack over here. Okay. And here's the secret. Here's the secret. Seder Nizikin. The entire tractate of Masechta's Nazikin, which deals with all the possibilities of fixing and correcting the mistakes in human behavior, the, the either the damages or the arguments, the fights, and also assuring that things should be done fairly as opposed to not fairly, is all related to the inherent condition that God created a pluralistic world with many people in it. God created a world and a world where everybody has a sense of self and a sense of importance and everybody wants to look out for themselves and so on and so forth. Which is a direct derivative of the inherent state that Hashem created our world that the world feels itself separate from God. And because the world feels itself separate from God, that's why there is a whole bunch of ego. And where there is ego, there is conflict. And when there is conflict, there is damage. So you realize one of them comes from the other. It's all rooted in a world that is separated from God. Now, the entire world that is separated from God is because God creates the world. Mystically, those who have been listening to these classes have heard this many times. Hashem created the world through his final one of his attributes because the attribute of Malchut. 
the attribute of kingship. The attribute of kingship is the last and final attribute of the divine, where the energy of the divine, so to speak, exits the divine to create. And, and the very idea that there's such a thing called exiting the divine, which means going out of the unity and stepping into a state where there is disunity. And because there's disunity, obviously that makes room for all the problems and all the wreckage and all the difficulties. But that's the whole purpose of creation, that in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of all this darkness, we should draw God back in and create unity from the disunity. We should create uh, synchronization from the fragmentation. We should unify a distorted uh, world to bring peace into the conflict and bring the oneness of God into the into the, the many diversity that there is within the world and harmonize all of existence. Malchus is the, the, the Seder of Nezikin. If we trace the Talmudic study of Seder Nezikin and we trace it all the way up to where is it in the divine, it is the attribute of Malchus. The whole book of Nezikin is the tractate of Malchus. Now watch the beautiful idea, just right now. The Talmud tells us in Pirkei Avos, Hamalchus Niknis, Malchus is acquired with 30 qualities. Kingship is acquired with 30 qualities. The Dira talks about in order to acquire a Torah, you need 48 steps, 48 good traits. You have to work on 48 things to acquire Torah, wisdom. To acquire a kahuna, it also gives you various, no, kahunas you're born with. Um, Torah is with 48 steps. Malchus, 30. 30 qualities for Malchus. We know the moon represents the attribute of Malchus. The moon has a 30-day cycle. Yehuda, who is the king of the Jewish people? What is the tribe and the 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 who is the one who's meant to facilitate kingship in this world, establishing God's kingdom in a world that is not yet obeying God's will, but implementing God's kingdom in this world and bringing the whole world together into the oneness. But where is it really? It's all related to who? Yehuda. The name Yehuda is numeric value is 30. Yud and He is 15. Vav and Dalit is 10. Vav is 6 and Dalit is 4. So 50 is 25. And He is another 5. So Yehuda is 30. Because Malchus is 30. The Talmud says that there was a sage, there was a sage whose name was Rav Yehuda. He's not Yehuda from the, from the tribes. He's a rabbi. His name was Yehuda. And the sages say, the say his entire Talmudic occupation was only in the book of Nezikin. He was the master of masters in the laws of civil damage and all this stuff. This was his Masech. Why? Because Yehuda. Malchus is Yehuda. And in the world of Malchus, there could be damage. There could be wreckage. There could be a mess. Without Malchus, there cannot be. We even find, he doesn't say this in the talk, but you see, Achava is Malchus. Man is the higher energies. Chava, Eve, 
Adam and Eve, Chava is Malchus. Where was there the first damage? Where did wreckage come into the world? The snake came to Chava. Through Chava, it got to Adam. But the Chava was vulnerable to a corruption. And that corruption then seeked in. And in the divine levels as well, it is explained that Dafka Malchus needs the most shmira, needs the most protection. Because Malchus is the closest to the klipa, to the unholy. If the guarder and protector from what? From the chitzonim, from unholy forces to attack her. If you take and look at the three tractates, Number one, they have 10, 10, and 10. They have 30 parakim. Because Malchus is acquired with 30 qualities. We're soon going to see, it's not just 30 qualities. We're soon going to see there are 30 powers of Gevura, of restrictions that build the entire structure of Malchus. Malchus is built with 30 Lamed Kalim. 70, 30 vessels of Malchus, which those 30 vessels of Malchus is basically the skeleton of the cosmos. The three worlds, Bria, Yetzirah, Asiya, the world of the creation, the world of formation, the world of Asiya. Each one, Malchus creates them through 10 vessels. The 10, and it's all together called the 30 vessels of Malchus. So basically means the entire kingdom, the entire world, the entire empire of a creation where you have many. Well, let's put it this way. If there wouldn't be many, if there wouldn't be society, there wouldn't be a world, there wouldn't be people, there wouldn't be fighting. The fighting comes from and the and the uh, all the all the all the problems, if we can say, comes about by creating many. You're calling trouble. You're creating the possibility for, say, the Nazikin. So now you need 30, 30, track, 30 chapters to fix that. And it was to keep it all corrected and to keep it all rectified, right? Now, Seder Nezikin is the fourth order in the Mishnah. The entire Mishnah is built with six orders. Zeraim, Moed. Zeraim deals with the agricultural mitzvot. Moed deals with time-bound mitzvahs like Shabbos, Yom Tif. Nashim deals with marriage, what's called women marriage. Nezikin deals with damage. And then Kachim deals with sacrifices. And Taharis deals with pure and impure. These are the six orders of the mission. Nezikin is the fourth one. Why? Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. Yehuda is the fourth one. So say the Nezikin. And, and we know in God's throne, in God's throne, there are four, four legs. One leg is Chesed, that's Avram Avinu. The second leg is Gevura, that's Yitzchak. The third leg is Teferes, beauty, which is Yaakov. The fourth leg is Malchus, is King David. David, David is the... The 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 um, David Amelech is the the facilitator of of uh, of, of the Malchus, and David is the fourth leg. So say the Nezikin is the fourth one, and David became king when he was thirty years old. So the entire Malchus very so these are the three parts of Seder Nezikin, the three Chalakim Baba Kama Baba Metzia Baba Basra. 
Now, when we dig deeper, we see that the that that these three mesechtas, these three parts, they're actually the internal structure of the attribute of Malchus. Because Malchus is built, Malchus is built from primarily from Gevura. Malchus is primarily built through powers of restriction. And very simple, why? Why is Malchus built on Gevura? Because since Malchus is creating space for the creations to exist, Malchus is the sort of all fi finiteness, time and space, and finitude, and, and limitations and boundaries. And that's only because God has to restrain his otherwise infinite, endless flowing energy. So to create Malchus, Malchus is built by enormous amount of restraint. Primarily, three powers of restraint that affect Malchus on three levels, in her head, in her body, and in her womb. Three levels of the woman. Now, let's, let's take it further. Malchus is feminine. The three tractates, Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, Baba Basra. What are the first letters of each one? Baba Makama starts off, the first starts off, Arba Avais Nazikin. There are four primary, four primary uh, classes of damage. Arba is spelled with an Aleph. Starts with an Aleph. Arba, Aleph. The second tractate, the Sechtis Baba Metzia, starts with a Shin. Two people holding on to a talus, so it starts with a shin. The last Masechta, Masechta's Baba Basras, deals with partners. So the first word in the Masechta is Hashutvim, the partners. So now if you take the first letter, Aleph, Shin, Hey, spells Isha, spells the woman. That's Malchus. Malchus is the world of the woman. It's the world of the cosmic woman. It's where all of creation takes place in the feminine world of Malchus. And that's where you have creation. And that's where you have susceptible to corruption and the whole stuff going on. And that's what needs to be fixed. So the fixing process is taking place through these 30 tractates of Seder Nezikin in which we're doing the repair in this feminine dimension of Malchus, fixing the woman. And once the woman is fixed, the husband can come down and live with her, which is God, the infinite. That's the fusion that happens in the days of Mashiach. So we have to finish this rectification with the Isha, with these three Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, and Baba Basra in this complete healing process that's taking place. Now, um, so now let's, oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, I have to throw this in right now just to keep you entertained. So we know, we know. That Gevura, that well, the Malchus is also a king, kingship. What's the first thing you think about when you think about a king? A real king, fear. People feared the king. The king was a very, a very fear, a very fearsome being. He has a lot of power. He can, he, everybody, everything belongs to him. He can even, you know, take someone's life. Definitely take, consecrate someone's property. He has enormous power. A king casts fear. And the main relationship of people to the king has to be one of awe. You can love him, that's nice. If you don't love him, that's also okay. But you don't fear him, you're in trouble. You don't respect him. You have to respect him. 
So kingship demands, and that's Gevura again. So Malchus is Melech Benishpat Yamid Oretz. The king establishes his kingdom with Mishpat. Mishpat is judgment, Gevura. Now we know Kabbalistically, which is beginning and beginning and beginning into the Kabbalah journey of tonight's class. So this is going to be like reckless numbers here. Okay, so, so bear with me. The power of Gevura, which we discussed many times, is related to, is, in its origins, is related, the essential powers of Gevura are five, five powers of Gevura. They're called Chamesh Gevuros, the five powers of Gevura. The five powers of Gevura associated to the five fingers of the left hand. The left hand is Gevura. The five fingers are the left hand. Chamesh Gevura is five. Also in speech, you have five organs of speech. And the five organs of speech are restraining powers. Because if you don't use your organs of speech, your tongue, your lips, your mouth, your thing, you emit sound. The sound is just very general. It's not sliced. In order to create nuance in your, in your sound, it's through the organs of speech. So that's all restraining powers. There are five gavuris. Hence, we understand why Baba, come on, Baba, let's see, uh, Baba, that's one. Because Baba is five. Bays, Bays, Aleph. Bays, Bays, Aleph. Bays and Bays is four, two and two. Aleph is one. Baba, Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra. Malchus, her entire being, is built on these five Gevurais. The five Gevurais activate on three levels in her. In her head is one level of Gevura. In her torso, midsection, is the second level of Gevura. And in her womb is the third element of her Gevura. These are the three Baba. Baba five. Five Gevurais structuring the world of Nezikin, the world of Malchus. And that's where the Tikkun and all this needs to happen. Now, one of the things about, about the woman... is the idea, the sages say, that women are very powerful in dissecting. They have an enormous advantage when it comes to figuring out detail. They are so detail-oriented. It's just, a, it's, it's a, it, now obviously, as I mentioned, I have to mention this every time, it's hard to classify, and, but certain feminine strength is the, is the, is the detailing. Uh, the man's strength is more in chachma, which is more the flash. And the woman is bringing it down into detail. One of the elements of where women are weak, the Talmud says, is noshem daiton kalas. The power of das is kal, it's light. It's not as firm. The deeper meaning of that is malchus does not have a strong das. Very simple. Das means, what's the ultimate das? The ultimate das means the ultimate awareness. The ultimate awareness is that he is, then there's none but him. If Malchus, which is the battery of creation, or the generator of life, literally the generator, would be saturated with the deep das of the Ein Sof, would have this enormous das of God's truth, then she would be so absolutely convinced there's none but him, 
then how could she create a creation? How can her constituents be inside this game and believe that they're something if the creative life force nullifies them immediately? In other words, she would spill that truth into her creation's consciousness and we would all be so inevitably filled with an awareness that there's only God and no one has free choice. So in order for there to be a creation and in order for there to be free choice, in order for there to be a presence of a creation, the whole drama of creation, the world, the whole pleasure that gets out of creation can only be if the malchut, which is the source of energy and life force to the creation, her das is toned down. That's the meaning of Nashim Daitan Kalas, you have less das. And that's the reason why the, the Zohar says that God treats the sins that happen in Malchus. The sins are not only in the creations, the sin is rooted in Malchus itself. And that's where the Gevura is, and that's the source of all restrictions and all constrictions and all of inevitably sins that happen in creation. It's all rooted in the diminishment. It's like God made the moon small. It says God calls it a sin on his part that he diminished the moon. He made the moon small means he, he weakened the woman's das. If he weakened the woman's das, how can he treat it as intentional? What's the difference between intentional and unintentional? When you're intentional, means you have your full das on. You know what you're doing. You realize that you're, God forbid, that someone is murdering someone. You have the full awareness of what he's doing. They call it, even in law, you know, meditative, or what was it called, premeditated murder. It's a much higher level of, of, of what's it called, again, punishment, than when it was at the spur of the moment, someone got angry, it was, it was, it was, it, it's, not, it's not treated the same. It doesn't have the same severity, because you understand, it's a different level of das. Here we treat every type of sin that happens within creation as from the very beginning, our das is kind of convoluted because Nashim, because Mesechtis Nezikin is the, is the, is the women ter territory. Aleph, Shin, Hey, Isha, like the first three letters. And they have, and, the, and women also, they have a, have a 30 day cycle. The women also work with mouthfuls. Everything is 30. And this is the, this is the concept of that whole feminine dimension, which is in the realm of, of these 30 tractates, that's why the Zohar says that all of this is treated as a unintentional sin. Okay. Now, now, now let's examine each of these parts individually. And we're going to start from the end. We're going to start from what the Zohar says that Mestachtas Baba Basra is where it talks about partners. And the Zohar says, Raza. The Aveda, it's the secret of a lost object. So when we asked how this question was, there's no lost object in Masechus Baba Basra. But take a look at this. What does the Torah say? Which words the Torah says? Call Aveda, any lost object. Right, that's those are the, it says on any sinful matter, an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, and what's the final one? Any lost object. Kol Aveda. So watch this magnificent. I, 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 never, I never teach from notes besides when I'm doing Rebbe Yitzchak Gematria. So here we go. Can't say never, but mostly. Kol Aveda. The Gemara says that 
in the beginning of the tractate Masechtas Kedushin, the Talmud tells us that a man is responsible to look for a woman. A woman is not responsible for looking for a man. God wants us to get married, but the obligation to go find their soulmate is on the man, not on the woman. Why? The Talmud says when someone loses an object, it's the one, it's not the object that goes to find the owner, it's the owner who goes to find his lost object. And being that the woman is a lost rib, the woman was once part of Adam's rib, he lost her, so he has to go find her. And the Talmud therefore calls the woman Aveda, a lost object. So when we already see the word call Aveda, so who is the Aveda, the lost object that we're referring to? That's Malchus. Okay? That's the woman. Who's Kol? Kol is the man. Why is Kol the man? We know in the spheros and the attributes, ten attributes, seven emotional attributes. The sixth attribute is called Yesod. Chesed, Gevurit, Feres, Netzachod, Yesod. Yesod is the element of bonding. Yesod is the in the physical element, it's the power of the man to be intimate with the woman. So it's the it's the actual transmission of man to woman. It's the connection. Yesod, so Yesod is the element of connection from the male to the female. And therefore, Yesod is called kol. What does kol mean? Kol means all. Why is it all? Because in the in this transmission from him to her it says that the Rambam for instance says that the, uh, the creative uh, um, energy or the creative substance that is being to procreate and create a child that's coming from the man is basically the DNA of his entire existence of the entire body it's coming from every limb of every the entire person is being pulled into that drop and that's why it's called called spiritually also we know the attribute of Yesod is receiving Chesed, Gevura, Teferes, Netzachod, all five um, um, attributes all flow into Yesod. And then Yesod takes it and gives it to Malchus. That's why Yesod is called Kol. Where do we find that? In davening, in the prayers every morning, we say, Lecha Hashem, to you God, Hagedula is greatness, Hagavura is might, Hateferes is beauty, Hanetzach, the um, victory, Vahod and glory. And these are all attributes that we know. Then, then we say, to you, God is Malchus. The only one we don't mention is Yesod. But we do say Yesod. Because we say, everything that's in heaven and earth. Heaven is male, earth is female. What connects the male and the female? The Yesod. The Yesod is the connection. And that's the word kikol. Let's see what the gematria of kikol is. Kol is 50. Chaf and lamid is, is, chaf is 20. Lamid is 30 is 50. Ki is another 30. Chaf and yud is another 30. 30 plus 50 is 80. The exact numeric value of the word yisod. Yisod is 80. So kikol is 80. Now kol itself is, is yisod. It's an interesting thing that he brings. 
The Talmud tells us in Tractate Shabbos that a baby, a boy, has his bris milah, has his circumcision, usually on the eighth day. But there are certain times when you can't do it on the eighth, it's pushed off for the ninth, let's say it's Shabbos on the eighth. On Shabbos, you can make a bris, even on Shabbos. But there are certain cases where you don't make a bris on Shabbos. And I think it's... Uh, if it's a suffix, that for sure means the baby was born. Maybe we don't push off Shabbos, but there are cases where you don't make the bris on the 8th, you make it on the ninth. It's possible to do it on the 10th, on the 11th, and on the 12th. So Rebbe Levi Yitzhak, the Rebbe's father, says 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, add the numbers up, it's 50. Because bris mila is done in the yesod, and yesod is 50. That's why the times for the bris milah is gematria call. So now, call aveda. What does it mean, call aveda? Any lost object. Call aveda is the unity that there is between yesod and malchus. It's the diffusion of these two spheros, of these two attributes. Yesod and malchus together. We know that Yesod and Malchus have to be together. It's this intimacy that keeps the cosmos in existence. It's him to do in Kol Aveda, in all lost objects. And what did we say before? That is Mesechtis. Which, which tractate is that? Mesechtis Baba Basra. Now where is Mesechtis Baba Basra talking about lost objects? Well, the opening Mishnah, Mesechtis Baba Basra, Speaks about Hashutzvin. It speaks about partners. Who are the partners? Male and female, husband and wife are called partners. Where do we see that husband and wife are called partners? Obviously, we don't have to see it. It's obvious. They get married, they become partners for life. But also we find the sages say we want to find it in, 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 in Torah terminology. Where do we see they're called partners? The sages say there are three partners in the creation of man. There are three partners in the creation of a person, of a human. Father, mother, and God. Father and mother create the body, and God puts the soul in. So you see that parents are called a husband and a wife, and the unity between the husband and a wife are called shutfim. So call Aveda, which is the unification. Aveda is Malchus. We said before the woman is called the Aveda. The man is called Kol. The Yesoid element is called Kol. And Kol and Malchus come together. They're unified. That's the Shutzvah. They are together. And they're supposed to be together. And they're always together. What does the Mishnah, however, what does the Mishnah attracting Baba Basra say? What does the Mishnah talk about? The Mishnah says the law that when the Shutzvah decide that they want to divide. They want to separate their field. Not their field, their courtyard. It says there is a Chatzar. There is a courtyard. And now they decide, husband and wife, that they want to split their courtyard. Half and half. What does that mean? This is all part of a sechtis nezikin. It's all part of the world of damages, which means it's all part of a world that's not yet rectified. In the rectified world, husband and wife want, don't want to divide their courtyard. But here we're talking about in a case where they do want to divide it because the world is still in a state of nezikin. It's still in a state. Malchus is still uh, having trouble. You know, we haven't yet gotten over yet the snake, uh, the snake's conversation with Chava. 
So there is stuff that are going on which causes wreckages in the system. So Kol Aveda is supposed to be together, but now the two Shutzvim, Ratsu, they want to split their Chatzim. So first of all, before we get, and that's what? That's exile. During exile, male and female are not standing face to face. They're standing back to back. So the mission is beginning of Masechtas Baba Basra is talking about exile. The partners, the Kol and the Aveda, which is Yesoid and Malchus that are supposed to be together, are now, and supposed to be face to face, are deciding they want to split their Chatzah, their courtship. How do they split it? They're going to build a kotel, a wall, a kaisal, which is a wall. And the Mishnah talks about the various, there are four different structures that they can possibly make. And the Mishnah talks about how big it, if they're using these material, if they're using this material, the Mishnah is giving four different types of structure, which is the separation of Yesoda and Malchus on four different levels. But why are they dividing on four different levels? And what's this courtyard? There's a chutzar that they're dividing. But for a moment, I want to talk about the kotel, the wall that they're putting up. You see, the word, the word what is the holiest place that the Jewish people have currently? We have a kotel. People go to the kotel. But kotel is symbolizing the time of exile. When the, when the temple is here, no one is going to pay attention to the kotel. Because the kaisal is the kotel. It's, it's, it's meant for now. It's a remnant of the temple. You see, it's reminding us that God hasn't left us. And God is always with us. But, it's a, but the relationship is not one of intimacy. It's back to back. And you see it in the word kotel. The word kotel is chav vav. Chav vav is 26. That's God's name. Yud ke vav ke. That's God's name. That's the male side of God. Havaya is the the the, the, the the element of Yesod. Not just Yesod, but Yesod is the extension of the man. That's Havaya, that's Yudke Vavke. Tail, Tough Lamed is Tough is 400 and Lamed is 30. So Tough and Lamed together is 430. 430 is five times the name Elokim. If you take Elokim, which is 86, and you make five times 86, it's four. I, I, I did the math. I, I, I didn't trust anything over here. I used my calculator. But five times 86 is gematria of 430. If that's the case, if five times, one second. So, and we know Elokim is Malchus. Because Malchus, what's the name of Elokim? The name of Gevura, constriction. So Malchus is Elokim. And how many Gevuras is Malchus built on? Five. So five times that lokim is tough lamin. Kotel, chavav, is the Eberster on one side and tail on the other side. But when they're standing, when do we have a kotel? When there is a division amongst them. So when we go to the kotel, on the one end, we're coming so close to God. We're kissing it. We're coming. But on the other hand, why is there a wall there? We don't want a wall. The wall is telling us, till here, you can come. You can't go further. That means that there's no intimacy. He's like, a, we're talking from across the wall. And that's Hashutzvim. 
That's the partners, husband and wife, Hashem and the Jewish people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah. Yisod and Malchus are disconnected. They built the Mechitza, they built the wall between them. But where are they building it? In a courtyard. So what's the mystery of the word Chatzar? So here's a really cool Kabbalah, okay? And he says like this. In the Zohar it says, there's a, there's a Pasuk that says, it, it, it speaks about, um, about, God, about courtyard, and it speaks about courtyard in the plural. It says, uh, Ashrei, fortunate, Ashrei Tivchar Usekarev, fortunate are those who choose and get close. Yishkoin Chatzeirecha, they dwell in your courtyards. Nizba betuv beisecha, they will uh, they become satiated with the goodness of your house. Kedosh hechalecha, the holiness of your chamber. So what do we have? We have God's courtyards, chatzeirecha, your courtyards, plural. Um, beisecha, his house. Obviously, the house is more inside than the courtyard. And your chamber, Heichalecha, is your inner chamber. So the Zohar says, the courtyards, that's Yesod and Malchus. It means the divine levels of Yesod and Malchus are considered still external of the divine because they're the most outside Sephirot. They're the most external Sephirot. So they're the courtyards. You go in deeper, you go into the house. Beitecha, that's the house. That's Chesed, Gevura, Teferes. That's already called the house. Hechalecha, your hechal, that's Bina. Bina is a hechal because Chachma dwells in Bina. So you go to hechal, that's all the way. So the Zohar says clearly that Chatzeirecha is Yesod and Malchus. And that's why the Shutzfim, the partners, who are the partners? Yesod and Malchus. They really have one courtyard, but now they're dividing the courtyard because at the time of exile, they're causing a division in the court. They're building this kotel because they're now they're not going to be face-to-face. They're going to be back-to-back to create a certain distance that there is during the time of exile. And he goes on to explain phenomenally. I'm getting late or else I would like take you and dazzle you with this. How Chatzar... We do it. I'm just holding it at the beginning of now. The truth is, I did speak so much at the end already, so maybe we can do this. I want to do this. He explains why, because it's just, uh, this, 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 this is great. He explains why, how do we have Chatzar in Malchus and how do we have Chatzar in Yesod? We find in Kabbalah that Chatzar is Yesod and Chatzar is Malchus. Chatzar is made up of these three letters Ches, Tzadik, Resh. Tzadik, the Tzadik in the word Chatzar. Is Yesod. Because Yesod is called Tzadik. Someone who is who is considered a Tzadik, particularly someone who facilitates and captures the energy of Yesod. We are all, our holiness is from Malchut. That's the holiness of our soul. Higher than that is we're hard for us to tap. Someone who taps higher than Malchus to a higher level, to the transcendental levels, to the masculine levels of divine light is called Yisod. It's called, it's called the Tzaddik. Tzaddik is related to the attributes. Right? And that's why we also know mystically, Kabbalistically, that particularly who's a Tzaddik? Someone who is very, 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 very clean in all aspects of holiness, which means someone who is in all sexual matters, there's no sin at all. That's a Tzaddik. So Tzaddik is related to Yisod the attribute of Yisrael. 
It's actually hinted to in the in the in the shape of a tzaddik. The tzaddik itself represents the yisod, but not not right now. So there is tzaddik. Then there is in the word chatzer there is reish ches, the other two letters. Reish and ches are two hundred and eight. Two hundred and eight. Gematria Yitzchak. Yitzchak is 208. When Yitzchak was born, Hashem told to Amram Avinu, Ezaro, I'm going to increase his children. And I'm, and I gave him Yitzchak. Which is a stunning statement. God says, I will increase his children, I will give him Yitzchak. Yitzchak is only one child. What do you mean I'm giving him a lot? Yeah, Yitzchak will turn into many, but Yitzchak is only one child. So the explanation given is God is kind of tricking him, not tricking. God forbid God is not tricking him at all, but you can, it sounds like the answer sounds like a trick. Yitzchak is Gematria 208, and Arbe, which means I will increase, is also 208. So by me giving him one child, Yitzchak, I really fulfilled my promise. Arbe, I will increase his children because Yitzchak is 208, and Arbe, which means I will increase his 208. But come on, you're playing games, God. You gave him one child, and even him, you almost had him slaughtered. <laughs> he survived. And you have Yitzchak is 208, and Arbe is 208. How does Yitzchak mean I multiply his children? The answer is multiple children means you have every kind of child. That's multiple, obviously, multiple. When is it considered you have enough? You have in Torah. Let's think about it for a moment. In Torah, what's considered every type of, every type, every type of child? I'll let you guess. What number is considered every type of child? And it's very basic in, 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 in Jewish experience. The most important experience of dealing with your children, education. Pesach by the Seder. The Torah speaks of four different children. Chacham, Rasha, Tam, Ene Yodei These are the four children or so up to the Seder. In Hebrew, right, what's the word for a, for a son? Ben. Ben is a boy. Ben is 52. 52 times 4. Ben times 4 is 208. So when the God gives him Yitzchak, he gave him Arba. He gave him really, in Yitzchak, there's all four children. Arba bonim. It's, it's Arba. It's, it, that's, the, that's a lot. Now, what is the relationship? We're going back to the word chatzer, courtyard, and we're saying it's called yesod. The tzaddik is yesod. What does that do with the children? Because what's responsible to creating children? Which particular element in the human being? That's the yesod. Yesod is the procreative um, organ. It's, the, it's what, where the children are created. So therefore, yesod has four children. So chatzer, which is tzaddik, and ches, and reish, courtyard, which we said before, yesod is called the courtyard. It's 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 the chatzer is is yesod with its four children. Now let's look at. Wait, wait, wait. Which name of God is associated with yesod? Which name of Hashem? Do we know that every Hashem has seven names that are not erasable? Seven names. Each name is representing to God manifesting in a different attribute. So which attribute of the Eberster, of which name of God is associated with Yesod? The name Shakai. Shin Dalit Yud. 
When it talks about having children, the Pasuk says, Birchas Shadayim Virocham. The blessings of Shadayim and Rechem. Rechem is the womb. That's the female produ- productive, uh, productive organ. And Shadayim is referring to the males. Shadayim means to, to, to throw. Shadayim. And there is that, that uh, the, the creation of a child is to the sperm coming out. In a, and that's Shadayim Virocham. So Shakai, the name Shin Dalid Yud, is associated with the divine attribute of Yisod. Now, in, in Kabbalah it says a fascinating thing. That the name Shakai has four different shapes. So it says in the Arizal. Four different shapes to the name Shakai. One equals 40. One equals 70, the other one equals 88, and the other one equals 100. I want to tell you something. The level of mystery that there is, the, the unbelievable amount of secret of secret of secret. You, know, you can figure something out, and then there is you break into a much deeper code. In other words, once you know the secret of letters, and you know gematria, so you can start. We don't, we, we can't do it on our own, but you're following the basic principles. You start seeing things that are unbelievable. But that's looking at letters. Do you know that every letter is made up of different letters? So you can break every letter down into many letters. And therefore, the Zohar says that the Arizal says that in the name Shakai, there are four different manifestations of Shakai. Shakai itself, Shin Dalid Yud, is gematria three fourteen. But not, not the name Shin Dalid Yud as the full letter, 300. But let's look at the sections of the letter. So Shin Dalid Yud has four different manifestations. Let me give you the first shape. I never heard this before, before I learned this today. So this was, this was cool to me. Shin is made up of three lines. Right? You make a Shin. So Shin is three vavs. Shin, one, two, three. Three vavs. Vav is six. Three times six, 18. Shin is 18. Dalid is a line on the top and a line down. So it's two vavs. Another two vavs, 18 plus 12 is another, it's 12. 18 plus 12 is what? 30. Yud is 10. It's a dot and it's 10. So 30 plus 10, 40. So in one, one easy way of looking at Shin, Dalid, Yud, Gamatria 40. Now, here's the second rollout of the name Shakas. The shins are three vavs, but you're not, we're forgetting something. We ignored. On top of each vav is a is, is a shape of a yud. On top of the on top of the of the is a shape of a yud. So in that one, you have to count it as three vavs, which is 18, plus three yuds. So three yuds, each yud is 10, three times. 10 is 30, plus 18, 48. The shin is 48 on its own. Dalid, two vavs. Vav and vav is dalid. Together it's 12. 48 plus 12, 60. The yud remains one, 10. So together, shin, dalid, yud is what? 70. This is the second count. Shin, dalid, yud is 70. Now let's get the third way of looking at shin, dalid, yud. According to the Arizal, Shin remains the same. What? Three vavs and three yuds. 
48. Dalid remains the same. And all four numbers, Dalid will always remain the same. Dalid is always two vavs, is 12. 48 plus 12. What did we say? 48 plus 12 is 60. Fine. Yud, instead of being 10, this is what they do with the Yud. The Yud is one dot in the middle. The Yud is really just a one little decimal point. But if you look at a Yud, first of all, the decimal point is stretched out. And it has a little thorn on the top and a little thorn on the bottom. Each one of those stretches is considered a Vav. So there is a Vav going up, a Vav in the Yud, stretching the, the Yud out and a Vav. So really, what's a Yud? A Yud is 10 plus 3 Vavs plus 18. So it's 28. Whoever knew that, that a Yud is 28. So now, if you make 28 plus 12, 28 plus 60, is 88. So the third Shakai is, is, is 88. What do we have? 40, 70, 88. And here's the last one. Shin stays the same, 48. Three Vavs, three Yuds, 48. Dalid remains the same, 12, 60. But the Yud, we're going to increase it just a little bit. Why? Instead of looking at, at the Yud, the Yud is a dot, plus three Vavs, they're not really Vavs. They're really just Yuds. The dot itself plus three extra dots. So we don't look at it as Yud plus 18. We look at it as Yud plus 30, because Yud, Yud, Yud. So it equals 40. So it equals 100. That's what the Arizal says mystically. Shame Shakai has four different ways of looking. I, I don't know. I mean, I, these things get me excited because who would have ever known all these nuances and the name Shakai and how it works and so on. Now, okay, if you take, let's, let's add them up. 40 plus 70, bear with me, let's do this together. 40 plus 70, everybody's tired already. 40 plus 70 is what? 110. 110 plus 88. 110 plus 88 is 198. Okay, plus 100. The last one is 100. It's 298. How much is Chatzar? Tzadik Ches Reish, 298. So Chatzar, therefore, he's showing you from all directions how Chatzar is Yisoyed, because the name of Yisoyed is Shakai. Shakai has four manifestations. And by the way, those four manifestations of Shakai are related to the four boys for the four sons. Now, Malchus, Remember I said courtyard, there's two courtyards. Um, because it's Shutzvim, it's two partners that are dividing a courtyard. So the Chatzar has to be belong to both of them. So Yusayid has a courtyard and Malchus also has a courtyard. How does Malchus have a courtyard? Cool, let's see. Tzadik that we said before is Yusayid. That's if you spell Tzadik with a Yud, Tzadik. But if you take away the Yud and you just leave Tzadik, Tzedek, that's Malchus. In the Zohar, in Pasach it says, Tzedek ihu Malchus Kadisha. Tzedek is Malchus. And by the way, what's the cosmic marriage? The cosmic marriage is Tzedek and Tzedek. When Tzedek and Tzedek get married, it's a, it's a Tzedek and a Tzedekus. The Tzedek is Malchus. Tzedek is Yesod. Yesod and Malchus get together. So we know that Tzedek is Malchus. And when, Malch, when Yesod gives Malchus, Light, it gives her an infusion. 
then she becomes tzedakah. First she's tzedek, and then she becomes tzedakah. But that's that's a different discussion. But in any case, so the tzaddik of the word chatzer is malchus. And then the 208, remember there's a ches and a resh, 208. 208 are the four sons of her. Just like he has four sons, the woman is also a partner in the children, right? If there are four sons, four sons from the father, four sons from the mother. Maybe it's the same four sons, but the masculine element of them and the feminine element of them, right? So there's four sons to Malchus. How do we see that Malchus has four sons? Malchus, interesting, is also called Behema. Because Malchus is, the name of Malchus is 52. Now, in, when it comes to the kashrut of animals, in order for something to be kosher, what does the Torah say? It's only kosher if it chews its cut. And the Hebrew word for choosing the cut is male geira. Geira, which means it's cut, it re regurgitates, it brings it back up. Geira is 208. Reish gimel hey, Reish is 200, gimel is 3, 208. So, and what does it have to do with an animal? Because malchus is called behema. So kosher animal is malchus in its higher state. So you see that, that the number 208 applies to malchus and so forth. Another very cool reason why malchus is chatzer courtyard. I told you earlier that the main power of malchus comes from Gevura. She's structured from the powers of, her whole energy is structured from the powers of Gevura. Where do her Gevuras come from? Gevura exists on three levels. Bina is the highest level of Gevura. That's where Gevura starts from. That's why Bina, what's Bina? Bina is the power to take an idea and break it up into pieces. To, to sectionalize it. That's why Bina is Gevura. That's what Gevura is. Restraining it, dividing it, separating it, seeing all the parts, compartmentalize something. So that's that's the power of Gevura. It's from Bina, also from the attribute Gevura, and also from the attribute of Hod. Hod is also on the left side. Uh, Netzach is on the right side. Hod is on the left side. So Bina, Gevura, Hod. So watch this. Bina... Bina is um, 67. The gematria of the word Bina, 67. Gevura is 216. Hod is 15. Let's add it up. 67 plus 216 plus 15, 298, which is Chatzar. So therefore, Malchus has got her Chatzar, and Yisod has got his Chatzar, and now they're, when, when they're face-to-face, -face, they share their chatzer. They both have one quarter. There's no need for a wall. But when exile comes along and there's going to be a separation between him and her, and they're putting a kotel, they're putting a wall in between, now we understand there's a separation between kol and aveda. That's why when the Pasuk says, I'll call Aveda, when it's talking about different damages, and the Gemara says, that's, and the Zohar says, that's Masechtis Baba Basra, and everybody's one, there's no Baal Veda. No, he's not talking about a lost object. And by the way, the Zohar uses the, uses the term Raza da Aveda. It's the secret of Aveda. In Kabbalah, it says that every time it mentions the word secret, it's referring to Yesod. Because Yesod is private. 
the private element of a person. So you sow this private, it's secret. Now, so it says, Raza da Aveda is the woman. Raza da Aveda means the, the, the secret the, of the Yesoi. So that's what it's talking about. And then these are the Shutzvim who are going to create a barrier separating them. Now, because they each have four, four sons, as we spoke earlier, four, four children, that would mean that Yesod and Malchus both have an element of four to them, and their connection is on four levels. So when they build the Mechitza, the Gemara actually in the Sechtas Baba Basra now says that there are four different types of Mechitzas they can be building this wall with. Either they can be building it with plain stones that are not cut stones, or they're building it with cut stones, or they're building it with full bricks, which are man-made stones, or they're building it with half a bricks. And the Gemara is discussing the size of all these four different types of walls that they're building. Why four? Because it corresponds to the four children that there are in Yesod and Malchus. Like we spoke earlier, the four uh, images in the name Shakai, Shin, Dalad, Yud, we said before, has four manifestations. Because Now the word Mechitza, they're, they're making they're, they're making a kotel. They're building a wall, which we said represents the separation. But they're making it through a mechitza. Mechitza is gematria kufnun gimel one hundred fifty three. That's the gematria of mechitza. But since we're making four mechitzas, either like this or like this or like that, four times one fifty three. Gematria 612. Numeric value 612. 612 is the exact gematria of the word bris. Tough is 400, ratio is 200, and then yud is bris. Bris is the covenant, is yesod. Yesod is bris. That's where you do the bris mila on the yesod. Now, it's not just his bris. They're both partners in the wall. Because a woman also has a bris, even though she doesn't have a physical bris in the sense that she gets circumcised. But the Gemara says a woman is born with a bris. She has the covenant already naturally. Bris also means the whole power of Yesod is the attraction between a man and a woman. So just like there is the desire of the man to be intimate with the woman, there is the, des the desire of the woman to be intimate with her husband. So the woman's bris is her Yesod, her yearning for him. His bris is his yearning for her. And that's what makes bris. And when there is no mechitza, which means the two are together, now that they're separated with this mechitza, so there's no facilitation of this bris. They're, they're, they're on the two sides of the wall and they're yearning. We're yearning for our intimacy with God. This is the time of exile. We're lacking in that bris, the fulfillment of that bris, which we're supposed to be having when Mashiach comes. Obviously, we have the completion of this bris. But now we understand a little bit what that Mishnah means when the Mishnah talks about Al-Kalavim. And we back up a little bit. I'm going to do this very quickly because we really have to end this year. I can go on for another hour and a half. So um, if Kol Aveda in the end of the Pasuk is referring to the Yesod and Malchus, Kol means all-inclusive, which is Yesod and Malchus, then in the beginning of the Pasuk, where we, remember I said right in the beginning of the class, I said there is two generalities in this verse. Al-Kol Aveda is general. And at the beginning when it says Al-Kol Devar Pesha, on every word of Pesha, on every, every, on every sinful matter, 
it also uses general. And then it says the four, the four, the four specifics. Shor, Chamor, Seh, Salma. Ox, donkey, sheep, and garment. So now let's go to the Alkod of our Pesha. Go back to the beginning of the verse. We're talking again, it says again the word kol. Kol, we said, means inclusive, includes everything. One other attribute includes many attributes besides Yisod. Yisod pulls from all the attributes and it gives to Malchus. What other attribute is including all the attributes? It's the attribute on top of Yisod, the origins of Yisod is Das. Das, the Zohar calls, it's the key to all the other six emotions. It's called Maftechlikon. Because without Das, what's Das? Das is the ability to connect to an idea, internalize something, to feel something, to a concept. You become internalized, you feel it so deeply, and you get, and therefore you it, it feeds your emotions. Because you can only get excited about something if you're really connected to something. So Das is our ability to really connect so literally you can touch the thing that you're that you're thinking about and you get excited about it. It's almost like you can touch it um, psychologically, not, not physically. You can, it's tangible, it becomes so real to you. So your emotions get excited. So without das, we can't create any emotion. Yesod for sure not, which is bonding without das doesn't work. That's what I say. Just say there is no physical excitement without das. If a person is distracted, there's no physical excitement for intimacy. They can't be, they can't be in the moment because there's no Das. Das is focus. So Das is to consider the mother. Bina is the mother of the emotions. Das is the energy of the emotions. So Das is therefore called Kol. It includes all the lower Sephiro. Now, since we're talking about damages over here, again, let's go back to what we're talking about. We're talking about Nazikin. We're talking about damages. So we're talking about judgments. We're talking about, about Gevura. This is what, what, what makes Malchus, we said before, is full of judgments. So we're talking about the whole world of judgments. So therefore, Das has includes within it all the later individual types of judgments, which those restrictions or judgments and powers are going to turn later all the way downstream. They're going to turn into violent behaviors down here. But in their source, they're the inner structure of Malchus. She's being built by these by these powerful gavuras. Das includes them all. That's why the word that is used to describe the gavura of Das is kol, which calls everything, but what? Devar Pesha, every sinful matter. Devar Pesha is the Gevura of Das. Why is it the Gevura of Das? What's the connection of Devar Pesha to the Gevura of Das? Watch this amazing thing. What's Gevura? Gevura is heat, right? Chesed is coolness. Water flows, it's naturally cool. Fire is heat. Fire is gavur. Gavur is hot. If you think about heat, what's like the hottest thing in down here? A furnace, an oven. Devar pesha. The words devar pesha together is gematria. Six hundred fifty-six. Exact amount of the word tanor, 
What's a tanor? Tanor is a, is an oven, a baker's oven, and that's the source of all gevura. Das includes all the gevuras in it, and therefore the das is called the var pesha, which is the numeric value, as I said before, of the word tanor. So when you say I'll call Devar Pesha, that's the Gavura of Das, which includes all the later detailed individual Gavuras. And to add to that, just let me take a look over here, because I remember there was something over here that I'm missing here. Kol Dvar Pesha, Kol Dvar Kol Midosh, Kol Atzvet, Dvar Kol Gavuras Vadinim, Dvar Pesha 656, Tanur. Oh, now, I'm almost done. Let me give you this. Which name of God this is another really cool idea. Which name of God is the name associated with Gevura? Elohim. I mentioned that earlier. Elohim. Now, there is Elohim. There's multi-levels in the name of Elohim. One level of the name of Elohim is simple letters of Elohim. Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Yud, Mem. If you make the gematria of Elohim, it's 86. We discussed that many times in this class. Elohim is 86. But here's another thing. Sometimes when we do a gematria, we, it's called rabua. Rabua means we, we multiply the letters, which means we do like this, Aleph, and then of the name of Elohim. We make like a pyramid. We put the first letter up on one line. The next, letter we, the next line, we put two letters. The next line, we put three letters. And the next line, we put four letters. And the next line, we put five letters. We put all the letters out. And then we, we add up the numeric value of all, all the lines together. It's some system of intensifying or reducing. It's reducing the light, creating more. That means it's more constriction. It's more concealment. It's more judgment. So if you do that in the name of Elohim, Aleph, Aleph Lamed, I'm not going to do it right now. I'm just telling you what it is. It, it equals 200. So far we have 286. 86 from the regular Elohim, plus 200. Now there's another element in the name of Elohim. If you really want to break Elohim really open on all levels, you want to connect every element of Gavura of the name of Elohim. And that is you fill the inside hidden letters of the, of the, of, of the, of the, of the word. Aleph is Aleph Lamed Pei. So it's Gematria 111. Aleph, it's not just a letter Aleph. Aleph is one, but Aleph is 111. Lamid is 74. Lamid Mandal. Hey, you fill the hey with a yud. So it's 15. Hey, yud. Um, Aleph, uh, hey, uh, hey. Hello, uh, hey. Yud is 20. Yud, vav, dal. Yud is 10 plus vav, dal is another 10. And the last one is mem. Mem is mem. Two mems. So it's 80. Add it all up. You have 300. So when you take Elohim, 300. Then you take, because that you're filling the inside letters. Then you take Elohim and you put it in a, in, a, in, a, in a pyramid. You add the letters up. Then you take Elohim simples, 86. 200, 300 is 500, 586. But, not, not done yet. In the name of Elohim, there's also the nekudot on the bottom. The dots. So the word Elohim has a segol. Segol is three dots. But if you look at in a siddur, you'll see that besides the segol, the three dots, there's also a shiva right next to it. So it's really five dots under the olive. One, two, three, four, five. On top of the lamid, there is a cholam. There's another dot. That's six dots. 
and under the hay is hay is a chirik. He hello, Kim. It's a, so it's one more dot. So it's seven dots. Every dot is a yud. Seven yuds is seventy. So now we take two eighty five eighty six plus seventy. 656 gematria oven timer. Because the, when you take Elohim, all elements together create you. An, so when you talk about an oven, see, that's what, that's what drives me insane when I read this stuff. Because we're walking around this world and encountering an oven and a thing, and we're not realizing we're just basically walking around divine names. Everything is a godly code. There's literally nothing in the world that's not talking to you, that is not spiritual, that is not just a... You know, I, I know I'm I'm so late, and I, mean, I have to tell you this crazy story. I was, I'm having problems with my car. The last uh, we have two cars and this minivan. It's making me crazy. Uh, lately, the alarm was set off, and every time I went to the car and I tried to go into the car, beep, and I couldn't shut it. No matter what I would do, the line, the whole block is turning, coming outside. In the middle of one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I can't stop. So crazy. Anyway, so I had to take it to the mechanic, and they disconnected. They I couldn't figure out what the problem is, and he disconnected the alarm. Anyways, what happened in the end was. Turns out that when they, in the process of disconnecting the alarm, they rewired something and it drained my battery. So then I had to call the electrician in. The, 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 I had to take it in, and they they told me that they, they, this 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 mechanic can't fix the this mechanic can't fix doesn't know what's wrong. So he's sending me to an electrician to fix it. So I said that meanwhile I can't leave it like this because I'm going to come back in the morning and the battery is going to be drained because there's some elect usually if you leave the light on the car, it drains. It drains the battery, but I didn't have any light open and it's still draining the battery. So he told me there's some kind of electrical fault where it's draining the battery when the battery when the car is not on. Usually the battery charges with the engine, but the engine is not on, so the battery is just draining. And this is what happened to me. And I'm sitting there, but this is my headache. So I'm thinking to myself, there must be some godly teaching here, because why is this my headache? And I realized that today it hit me, it was so simple. You see, the engine, that's your godly soul. That's because that's the true engine in your life. The battery, that's the animal soul. Because the battery is, the, is what actually is just giving the physical electricity. When your animal soul is plugged into your godly soul, it's always recharging. Because it's charged into an infinite source. The godly soul is always charging. But if you shut your godly soul down, for whatever reason, you have to shut the battery down. You can't have your animal soul, which is your battery, operating without your godly soul. Now, if you have some activity, if I have, obviously it's my lesson to me, if I have some activity in my life that's draining my battery, but when my engine is off, which means I'm operating from my animal soul and using energy from my animal soul without draining it into any activity, that's an electric current that's being pulled from the battery, with, when the battery is not plugged into the engine, which means it's not plugged into my higher consciousness, my soul that's part to God, then what's going to happen is when I want to turn my soul on and get my animal soul it, to do what I'm supposed to do, there's no more energy. You see, if we, if we drain our energy into other things, you have no more energy to do what you're supposed to do, the godly things you're supposed to do. So this was a, a teaching to me that I got to make sure that I have no drainage coming from my battery when it's not connecting to the to the higher consciousness, to the soul. It's my own private lesson, but I, the reason I'm saying it is because learning all of this all the time teaches you that there's absolutely not a single thing that is in your life 
that doesn't have a spiritual godly content to it that is applicable to you, that's talking to you. So we're saying over here that the all elements of Elohim together is gematria taner on all levels. And that's the same gematria of the word devar pesha, which is the which the verse is saying this is the beginning of all gavura, of all types of harm that can be in the world. That's the devar pesha, that's the that's the das. That's the the, 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 the the Gevura coming from Das, which is the, a general Gevura. Then the next level of Gevura is Shor Hamor Seh. That's the Gevura coming from Gevura itself. It's the Das is the highest. No, Shor Hamor Seh, he explains, is Chesed Gevura Teferis. Because, um, and, 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 and just quickly, um, um, Shor is... There's two ways of there's two ways of learning it. Shor is either chesed or gavura, because usually shor is gavura, because the ox, the ox is on the left side. But it's possible to learn shor is chesed as well, which I can't have time for that now. Chamar comes from the word chumra. Chumra means um, stringent, which again is 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 is, um, is gavura. Gavura is stringent. Se is teferes. Sheep is teferes. That's why Yaakov Avinu was always working with the sheep, because Yaakov is teferes. Um, the Egyptians also used to serve the sheep as an idol. That was their god, because teferis makes you rich. All richness comes from teferis, and that's why for abundance they were tapping into the... There's many reasons why Seh is associated with teferis. So these three types of gavurais are the, are the, the chesed gavura teferis element that goes into Malchus. And finally, Salma, the garment, is Netzach and Hod. Why is Netzach and Hod the garment? Because um, the Pasuk says, Hod v'hadar lavashta. Glory, which is Hod, and Hadar and splendor, which is Netzach, lavashta, you dressed yourself. So Netzach and Hod are called garment. But since Netzach and Hod are two, the two thighs, they're always together. Even more, see the hands don't, the two arms are separate. They're separated by the torso. The thighs come together. So Netzach and Hod are much far more together. That's why they're both considered Salma, one garment. But what does the Mishnah say in the Sechtis, Baba Metziah? Shnayim Eichs two holding on to the garment. Why does it start with two? Because it's Netzach and Hod. Netzach and Hod are two that are both holding on to the salma, to the garment. So do you realize, okay, he says, there's just an incredible mysticism that's going on in these tractates. Two people holding, these are the gavuris associated with Netzach and Hod. Shor, Hamor, and um, Seh are the four mothers, fathers of, of, of Nazikin that are in Mesechtis Babakam. Even though it only mentions three and not four, and in Talmud it mentions four, because the das, which we said, which precedes them all, is also included. So the four are really including the das as well. And that's why the last one of the four is a fire, the oven that we just mentioned, damages that come from the fire. So the four elements in the Mesechtas Baba Kama are das, chesed, gevurit, teferis of Malchus. Um, the Mesechtis Baba Metziah is dealing with Netzach and Hod of Malchus. That's the Shnai Moichs and Betalus, two people holding on to the Talus. And then finally, the Yesod and Malchus of Malchus, that's the two the partners that are, that are, that are going to split the, the field. This is the sum totality of all element of Gevura that the attribute of Malchus is built on. 
So what do we say? Because of all these gavuras, sin can happen. Destructive elements can happen. But how do we fix all that? How do we repair all the damage that there could be in this, in a world which has all this multiplicity and all this, as we say, it's built on all these restrictions which cause divisions and so on and so forth. How do you do that? Shimru Mishpat, the verses say. Observe Mishpat. In George, Mishpat is 429, 430. Mishpat is five times the name of Elohim. The five Gevuris. How do we sweeten? How do we rectify the five Gevuris? Shimru Mishpat, the Elaha Mishpatim, this week's parasha. Learn. So the Zohar is saying, what is that? Learn Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra. And then you're going to, you're going to, and, and adhere to it, adhere to the obedience to these laws. They could be very, very nitty gritty. They could be very, very, but all this together is a rectification of the entire Gevura element, which is in Malchus, which because of that is associated with Devar Pesha, with all kinds of possible damages of this and violence. And all. this includes every type of corruption and every type of violence that happens throughout all of history. It's all included in all of this. But by us learning Shimru Mishpat, observe and watch Mishpat, Vasu Tzedakah and Du Tzedakah, eventually we're going to have a rectified world. Kikroiva Yeshua Asi my Yeshua is about to come. So on and so forth. I did a little bit of an abbreviation as I was getting to the end. But this is generally the idea. And this is just teaching us just one thing, that there's so much sold. There's so much secret in every nuance of Torah that we have no clue when we're learning it on a, on a simple level. And when Mashiach will come, all this incredible godly content will come to the surface of Torah. And we're going to be so enthralled and enthused because we will never get the end of the unbelievable never-ending mystery that is going to start you know, popping out from every verse, from every Mishnah, from every law. We're going to uncover all this incredible mystic, uh, mysticism that's there and godliness, and we're going to see endlessly. And we're not only going to see it in the Torah, we're going to start seeing it in every aspect of life as an engine breakdown or as a this thing. And this is all God talking to us every minute. There's nothing that's random. That's nothing that's just plain. May we merit already to have the complete rectification that's mentioned in Parshas Mishpatim and Hashem should forgive us all for all the misdeeds because ultimately it's his fault and he knows it. So um, he should might as well take the blame for all of it and bring one big atonement for all of existence and for all of mankind, repair the damage, remove the Kotel, let us go on to the building itself and let us move from the courtyard into the house and into the inner chamber until we reach absolute intimacy and oneness with Hashem himself. And may that be now. Chesed u'barachanim. Chaim. Oi. A little secret. A little, a little, a little mysticism. <laughs>